Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. All right. How are we guys doing today? Doing all right? Hey, what's going on? Oh, my people's let there be light. That's exactly what just happened right now. We were in the dark, but now we are in the light. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? Doing good? All right. I want to give a quick shout out, a really big, big ups to everybody who's watching online through our social media platforms, whether it be YouTube or Facebook. Thank you. Welcome uh, for, uh, to Christ Fellowship. Thank you for joining us this morning. Also, I promised her last week that I would do this. If I don't do it, that means I'm a liar. I don't want to be a liar. Big ups to Terry. Terry, I told you I'd give you a shout out. We miss you. We love you. And hopefully we'll see you very soon. All right. Well, for those who don't know, if it's your first time here at Christ Fellowship, my name is Eddie. And as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you guys this morning, being able to share God's word. How many of you are excited about God's word this morning? Like, we're about to hear something spectacular, not because I'm saying it, but because God is about to come down and touch each and every single one of our hearts. Are you guys ready for that? You guys don't sound like you're ready for that. I'll come back later. You guys ready for that? Oh, now we sound like we're ready. I like that. I like that. Well, we are right in the middle of a series called The Promise of His Provision. The Promise of His Provision. And so far, what we have discovered through this series is that if God provides for the birds of the air, if he dresses the lilies of the field, then how much more for us will he watch over us? How much more for us then will he care for us and protect us? How much more will he provide for our needs, not our wants? Because there's a big difference, right? We can want anything and everything that we want, but that's whatever. It's the need that God cares about. And since he created us, he knows exactly what it is that we need. Amen? Well, in the first week, just so that way we have everybody on the same page, in the first week, Pastor Diana kicked off this series, and she told us about one of our Lord and Savior's great name. And the name that she gave us, that she spoke to us about, was Jehovah Jireh. That means the Lord will provide. I mean, think about it. You can't do a series on provision if you don't talk about how the Lord is going to provide, right? Am I right? All right, sir. That was weird. All right, anyways, right? So the Lord will provide. Now, when I say that she broke it down, I mean she went deep. She went like James Cameron searching for the Titanic type deep. Because when it means that the Lord will provide, it's more than just, Lord, I need $5. And the Lord comes down and gives you $5. It's more than that. The Lord provides for every need, spiritual, mental, physical, emotional. It is an awesome, awesome message that she gave. Last week, Joel spoke to us about money. Money, 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 money. Money. Hit that high note, PH. Got you, son. Got you. Right? He spoke about money, but specifically he asked us a couple of questions in regards to it. In regards to it, excuse me. 
He says, what should our attitude be towards it? What type of attitude should we have towards money, right? What is its purpose in our life, right? And a really important thing that he asked us was, which one is the Lord of your life? Is it money or is it Jesus? As you can see, we have been talking about some really fascinating topics here at Christ Fellowship, some really deep and intimate topics here. We're not just all willy-nilly. We get, to the gut, we get to the grittiness of everything. We get to the gut, to the heart of the issue. And if you missed those messages, then unfortunately, I'm sorry, you missed out. Because there's absolutely no possible way that we can go back in time to listen to any single one of them. Oh, I'm sorry. We have a podcast. We have a podcast. We have a social media platform. If any of you want to go listen to any of those two great messages, all you have to do is tune into one of our Facebook pages or to any one of our YouTube and listen to them there. I promise you, you won't regret it. Well, today, today we are going to be traveling down a familiar path. Today, we're going to be going down actually a familiar road. In fact, the road that we're going to be traveling down today is so familiar that a lot of us may not even notice that we're on it. In fact, the role that we're going to be talking about today tends to blend in with its surroundings, so much so that we don't even notice it. We may not even acknowledge it. This road has so many twists, has so many turns, has so many lefts, has so many rights, that you can actually get lost on this road, easily get swept up, and before you know it, You're following everybody else who is on it. Today, what we're going to be talking about is lies from our culture. Lies from our culture. You see, the world wants us to live our lives a certain way. It does. The world does. The world wants us to have a certain mentality of how we approach the the every day of our lives. The world wants us to think a certain way. The world wants us to act a certain way. The world wants us to believe a certain way. The world wants us to spend our money a certain way. The world wants us to treat one another a certain way. The world wants us to be involved in things a certain way. But the world is a little bit smart because the world knows that it just can't come out full force and shove its mentality, shove its methodology, shove its belief in your faces all in one shot. It knows it can't do that. I learned this from my wife a long time ago when we went to the movies one time. She used to be in graphic design for the industry. And she told me one time that if you look all around, there's advertisements for everything. And the reason why we don't notice it anymore is because it becomes kind of like normal. But subconsciously, we're absorbing everything that the world is tossing out there, tossing into us. And before you know it, if you walk into a movie theater and you're not thirsty for a Coke, by the time you sit down, you want one. Because the world knows it can't do everything obviously. It can't do everything suddenly. Because here's the thing. Naturally, from our human nature, we're resistant to change. We're resistant to change. If somebody comes up to us and says, hey, I don't like that about you. I need you to change that. We'll be like, I ain't changing nothing. I ain't changing for you. I ain't doing that. But... If that same person comes along and does it over time, if they do it subtly, if they do it without you really knowing that you're trying to change them, if you give it enough time, 
you will. And the world operates in the same exact way. It does it slowly. It does it quietly. If, if, if I can think of an image right now, the way the world does it is that it does it drop by drop when it comes down to its culture. It does it drop by drop until it forms a puddle. And then it continues to build on those drops until those drops turn into a current. And then after that current is dragging in people one by one, after it gets enough people, all of a sudden that current turns into a river. And now it's not dragging people in one by one, it's dragging people in by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. And then before you know it, you have what the culture wants, everybody heading in one single direction, doing exactly what the culture of this world wants you to do. To put it another way, maybe you've heard this before, the enemy, the devil, Satan, he likes to treat us as if we were frogs. You've probably heard this before. If you grab a frog and you toss it into a hot frying pan, that frog is like, boom, no, sir, I ain't staying here because the temperature difference from outside to inside, the change is too sudden. The temperature is too obvious. The moment his feet touches it, he knows that there is something not right. So that frog is like, I'm out of here. Peace. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. But if you take that same exact frog, put it into a pan of room, temperature, and then raise it slowly, raise it slightly, raise it little by little. Before you know it, you're a fried frog. And that is exactly how the enemy of this, uh, how the enemy and the world and the culture of lies operates. It operates slowly. It operates unobtrusively. SAT word. It operates without any huge waves because if it does, it'll make it too obvious. And the reason why he does that is because the enemy wants you to buy into the culture that he is trying to create. He wants you to buy in to the lies. And what better way to do that that instead of coming at you full force right in front of your face, he does it over the course of time. He does it over the course of decades. He does it over the course of generations. He started things way back when that have now all of a sudden we take a look at it and say, oh, that's normal. That's, that's just the way things are. Why do we think that way? Because the puddle had already formed, the current had already set loose, and the river right now is just too big. And he is trying to do that in every single area of our lives, from our careers to our finances, to our possessions, to our relationships, to our marriages, to our families, to our kids, to the education system that we are a part of, to our gender and to our beliefs. He is trying to create his own thing in every single one of those areas. And unfortunately, if you look close in some of those areas, you can see the puddle forming. If you look even closer still in other areas, 
you can already see that there's a current. Sometimes, when I think about it, I think to myself that we ourselves don't even notice the puddles that we are standing in. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let me give you a couple of examples that I have, okay? Just bear with me for a second. These examples are very important. They're not dated. One thing that I want to talk about right now as, as an example of the puddle, the current, and the river, I want to talk about sex. That's right. I'm talking about sex in church. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that could. Let's talk about sex. Da, da, da. Let's talk about. All right. We're going to talk about sex. Sex is a good thing. It is a God-created thing. It has an intended purpose. It is reserved specifically for husband and for wife. But, but around the 1920s, we're going back. I don't think anybody here is that old. If you are, I'll pray for you. But around the 1920s, but around the 1920s, and especially after World War II, premarital sex became more common. Now, the reason why I say more common is because obviously before 1920, people were having premarital sex. But for some odd reason, around 1920 and around World War II, premarital sex became more common. It became so much more common that, check this out, by the 20th century, by the end of the 20th century, 75 to 80% of all Americans who lived in America already had premarital sex. That is eight people for every 10 that are in one room. So somewhere along the lines of history, somewhere along the lines of history, the enemy created a lie. And around 1920, that lie turned into a puddle. And then by the end of World War II, that puddle turned into a current. And then by the 20th century, that puddle was a river. And it's no longer dragging in people one by one. It's dragging in people by the tens, by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. And I'm pretty sure you've heard this before. And this is how I know that it's a current. This is how I know that it's a river. Because when I was in high school and everybody was asking me about it and my parents told me about it, guess what my response was? Maybe you've said it. Maybe you've heard it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Mom, dad, it's not that big of a deal. Calm it down, dad. Calm it down, mom. Why? Why has this happened? Why has the value of men and why has the value of women towards one another, why has that value dropped? It is dropped because, because the culture says that it's no longer a big of a deal. That old way of thinking, that's antiquated. That's how things were done back in the 1900s, back in the 1800s. But we live in modern times. Modern times need modern rules. Modern times need modern beliefs. Modern times need to adapt to what the majority is doing. And if that's what the majority of the people are doing in our culture, then guess what? That's what becomes the norm. 
That's what becomes the norm. If everybody is doing it, then we all tend to look at it as if it's the normal thing to do. But little do we know, that is a lie by the enemy. I'm going to talk about two more things. The next thing I want to talk about is our careers when it comes down to our job. And I want to quote my boy, Fiddy. How many know who Fiddy is? Fiddy Cent? Anybody? Oh, somebody knows who Fiddy is. Fiddy, he came out with an album. I used to listen to this album in high school. The album was called Get Rich or Die Trying. Get rich. You can find me in the club. Bottle full of. Get rich or die trying. Believe it or not, this may surprise some of you. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Believe it or not, that mentality is nothing new. It isn't. The only thing 50 Cent did, the only thing my boy Fiddy did, was take an old concept and introduce it to a new generation. That's all he did. It's nothing new, right? But if we want to keep it within the context of America, we can go way, way back to the beginnings of history. But I just want to keep it to America right now, okay? This concept can go back as far back as the 1950s, right? The generation that grew up in the 1950s, they grew up in a really, really bad time. Maybe you've heard of it. It was called the Great Depression. These people grew up during that time. I'm talking about the poorest time in American culture. The poorest time. Bread lines, water, no jobs, no nothing. That's all that was around. All of a sudden, around 1950, there was a huge economic boom. Huge economic boom. All of a sudden, jobs were plentiful. All of a sudden, money was flowing like waterfalls. Everybody who wanted anything was able to get it. And guess what? That generation that grew up with nothing, now all of a sudden was able to buy anything. Anything that they wanted. But here's the thing. They knew, man, I want to buy this. But in order to buy this, I have to work. That's true, right? If you want something, you work to get money and you buy it. The problem is, is that they wanted so much. They had this keeping up with the Joneses mentality. And since their neighbor got something new, now they wanted to get something new. But little did they know that in order for the neighbor to do that, that neighbor had to work like five jobs. So now, guess what? Now he bought that. Now he has to work five jobs. And then before you know it, that get, or get, that get rich or die trying mentality, now all of a sudden you're living in your career because that's all you can do to support the life that you are trying to sustain. Get rich or die trying at the expense of your family. Get rich or die trying at the expense of your marriage. Get rich or die trying at the expense of any relationship you may have at that time because the world tells us the culture that has been developed, the puddle, the current, the stream, the river that has been told to us since previous generations tells us now that that's the only thing that matters. If you don't have money, you're nothing. If you don't have possessions, you're nothing. If you don't have anything substantial, you are nothing. And if the majority of the culture is trying to gain that, then it's no wonder that you see everybody out there chasing it. Chasing it. What has the culture of the world told you about your career? What are some of the things that it's telling you? Stay here longer hours. Don't worry about your, your family. 
stay here longer hours, here's overtime, make more money so you can buy X, Y, and Z. So you can buy what you want, not necessarily what you need. What has Pulcher told you about your career? I got one more example for you. I'll be very light real fast. One more example. There's another trend. There's another trend that has hit America right now. And this trend, honestly, is only about five or seven years old. It's really not that old. It's very current. But obviously, if you go back five or seven years, you can see it beginning to be traced. And this is what the trend says. I had to express it to you guys because I didn't want you guys to miss out. This is what the current trend, this is what culture is telling us now. You only love me if you accept everything that I am and anything that I do. You only love me if you accept everything that I am and anything that I do. If you disagree with what I believe in, if you disagree with what I say, if you don't believe in what I believe in, if you have any difference of opinion about anything that I am or say or do, then guess what? That is a sign to me that you do not love me. What? This is a puddle that has turned into an ocean that has swept over the generation of our youth. Because our youth now has this mentality. If we correct them in any way, if we say anything to them in any way, if we disagree with them in any way, they all of a sudden feel like they are not being loved. So in order for them to feel loved, I have to agree with everything that they say or that they do. I have to buy into their mentality because if I don't, they're not loved. This is an all-inclusive culture that was created on a lie. Parents, you know where I'm about to go with this. I love my kids. I love my kids with every fabric of my being. But that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything they say or everything they do. If my kids love playing in the middle of traffic at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, am I going to let them stand there? No, I'm going to snatch their behinds out of there, put them on the sidewalk, and protect them because I love them. I don't care if they say they love playing in there and they don't feel loved or they don't feel wanted or feel needed. I'm doing that because I love you. I could care less if you don't think that I do. But I do those things because I love you. The generation nowadays is growing up with this mentality. And they are growing up with this mentality all because the culture, the lies of the enemy have told them, you have no value if somebody disagrees with you. You have no value if they don't accept you for who you are. You have no value. You mean nothing. They don't love you if they don't believe in what you believe in. If there's a disagreement of any kind, Love flies out the door. Why? Why does this happen? The lies from our culture will tell us that we are nobody without Instagram followers. The lies from our culture will tell us that we should live together before we get married just to see if things work out. Because, check this out, if things don't work out and we're already married, now we have to get a divorce. Man, who wants to go through a divorce? You're right, we should live together. That is a trust issue. That has nothing to do with whether or not 
it's right or wrong. The lies from our culture will tell us that our happiness, my happiness, is more important than your happiness, even if it makes you sad. The pursuit of my goals is more important than your emotions. Lies from our culture will tell us that it's all about me and not about you. It's all about me. has nothing to do with you. And if you're in my way, I will literally step over you to get to where I need to go because my life is about me. My happiness is about me. It's not about you. And one of the biggest lies I've recently heard, our culture will tell us that if God gets in the way of your goals, that if God gets in the way of your goals, toss him to the side and find a God that will agree with you. Find a God that will agree with you. And if that God, for some odd reason, ends up down the line not agreeing with you, toss him to the side and find another one that will, and another one that will, and another one that will. Why? Why has that happened? Why is it happening? Because that's what the majority of our people in our culture are doing. That is what they believe. And because over time, over generations, it has become the norm. I read this quote the other day, really cool guy. This guy's name, Pastor Rick Warren. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a really cool book called The Purpose Driven Life, right? Anybody you heard that book? Hands, hands, everybody, anybody? All right, we got a couple guys. It's an excellent book. Well, Pastor Rick Warren said this the other day, and I found it so appropriate for today's message. And this is what it says. A lie doesn't become truth. Wrong doesn't become right. And evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. I'm going to say it again. It's too good. I got to say it twice. A lie doesn't become truth. Wrong doesn't become right. And evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. But that's what the enemy wants you to believe. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that it's okay because everybody is doing it. He wants you to believe that it's okay because that's where the current is going. He wants you to believe that it's okay because the majority of people who live in our society today, that is what they believe in and that is what they are doing. If 90% of the people are doing this, then it must be okay. It must be right. And slowly but surely, you see the laws of our nation beginning to change because of the majority, not because of what is right. So I have a question for some of you guys. Have you bought in to some of the lies of our culture? Have you bought in to some of the lies of our culture because it just seemed like it was normal? If we follow the majority, if we follow the crowd, if we follow the culture that has been put in place not by God, we will find it hard to recognize the one thing that matters most, truth. You will find it hard to recognize truth. And since Jesus is the perfect embodiment of truth, you will find it hard to recognize him. 
You will find it hard to recognize his guidance. You will find it hard to recognize his presence. You will find it hard to recognize his love. You will find it hard to recognize his provision, to recognize his word, and to recognize his voice. Following the majority, buying into the lies of our culture means one thing and one thing only. It means nothing else but this. It means that you are living. It means that you are living for the benefit of the enemy. You are living for the benefit of the enemy, whose only goal is to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. To follow the lies of our culture, to follow the majority, to follow the lies, leads to nothing but your life being destroyed. Whether it be a physical destruction, whether it be a spiritual destruction, whether it be a mental breakdown, it leads to that. But we will never know it. We will never know it. Because if we keep buying in, we won't be able to recognize truth and we won't be able to see the Lord. And everything to us will just seem normal. There is an historical account in God's word that illustrates everything that we have been talking about. So to the book of Kings is where we are going to go. Now, in order for us to follow this, we have to have a little bit of background so that way we're all on the same page. You see, at this time in history, God's people, Israel, they had divided the kingdom into north and into south. So necessarily there were two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. Each one had their own king. Now, at this time, wars were being waged, and claims were being made as to who was the rightful king over which, over which one, or who was going to be the rightful king over every single one of them. Now, while these wars were happening, while these kingdoms were fighting, guess what was happening with the people? Outside cultures were starting to infiltrate the kingdoms. Other nations started coming in to God's place. Not only did other nations started coming into God's place, but other nations and other cultures started influencing God's people. Now, there was a brief period, there was a brief period where there was three years of peace, which is kind of like where we pick up our story. But mind you, at this time, other cultures and other influences had already set foot inside the kingdom. But there was three years of peace. And the northern kingdom, and the northern king, Ahab, he wanted the southern king, Jehoshaphat, to come and join him in a war campaign against the against Armenians. And when Jehoshaphat shows up, this is where we pick up the conversation. And the word gives us insight as to the conversation and what was happening at this point. And this is what is happening. In 1 Kings chapter 22, Jehoshaphat arrives to the northern kingdom and he's talking with Ahab the king of Israel. And Jehoshaphat, and it, sorry, excuse me. And Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, should we go to war with these guys? Would you join me in our peaceful campaign to go against the Armenians? But look at what Jehoshaphat says. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Ahab, before we do anything, before we step foot outside of this throne room, let us first talk 
and inquire of God. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here. That's a whole other message entirely. Before you do anything, before you make any decisions in your life, before anything is to be made with you in regards to what you are going to do, it is always wise, it is always best to talk to God first. Always. And Jehoshaphat knew that. He knew that. So the king of Israel, verse 6, so the king of Israel, Ahab, he brought together the prophets, about 400 men. Think about that, 400 men. That's more people than we have in this church auditorium right now. The king brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and he asked them, all right, you want to ask about, should we go to war or not? Let's ask these 400 people we should go to war. And he says to them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall I refrain? Now, I want you to notice the wording here really fast. The wording says the prophets. It doesn't say the Lord's prophets. There's a big distinction there. It doesn't say the Lord's prophets. It just says the prophets. And when I did my research and when I did my studying, I found out that when you don't have the word the Lord before it, that means that these people were hired by the king. It means that these 400 people were appointed by the king. These 400 prophets were under the guidance, under the influence of the king. So if the king was the one that hired them, do you think they're going to say anything negative against them? Do you think they're going to tell him, no, don't do that? No, they're going to tell him exactly what it is that he wants to hear because there's 400 of them. And look at what they tell the king. Go, they answered him, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. All 400 of them, go, do it. Do exactly what it is that you said that you were going to do. We are all telling you that you should go to war. But Jehoshaphat, the one that the king invited, he notices something. He notices that there is a puddle starting to form underneath the king's feet. He notices that these prophets are not of God. He notices that these prophets have been influenced by other cultures. He notices that these prophets are liars. And so he pipes up and he asks a question back to King Ahab. And he says this to him in verse 7. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Jehoshaphat knows that there's a difference here. Excuse me. He knows that there's a difference. He sees these 400 people all saying the same thing. He sees the majority. He sees the crowd. He sees the current. He sees what is happening, but he's asking, is there not one person of the Lord among us? And look at the king's answer. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one. Everybody say one with me. Say one. There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate that guy. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. 
There's only one person in the entire kingdom right now who isn't going along with the current. There's only one person right now in the kingdom who isn't going along with the crowd. There's only one person in the kingdom right now who isn't buying into the culture, and his name is Micaiah. And look at the king's mentality right here. Look at his mentality. Just because Micaiah hasn't agreed with him ever on anything that he has set forth to, just because Micaiah hasn't bought in, just because Micaiah marches to the beat of a different drum, the drum of his Lord and Savior, the king hates him. He detests him. The king doesn't like anything that he says. And isn't that how our culture reacts today? When we say anything against the current, when we say anything against the majority, when we speak up and talk against the way our culture is nowadays, what are some of the things that they say? You're unloving. You're too judgmental. We don't like you. I can't believe you hang out with so-and-so and such-and-such. All because you don't agree. If anything, that is a super peer pressure tactic by the enemy. Because think about it. They would love you. They would like you. They will let you say whatever it is that you want to say. But only if you buy in. Only if you go with the flow. Only if you follow the current. Because if you buy in, they won't say any of those things about you. As we continue on, Jehoshaphat says, all right, well, this guy, Micaiah, bring him over. Verse 9, so the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Verse 10, dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance to the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them, with all 400 saying, go to war, do this. The Lord is going to give it to you. Do that. Every single one of them, all 400 of them prophesying those great things. But I love this part. This is so cool because I love where the kings are sitting right now. The kings are sitting where? On their thrones. Where at? The threshing floor. The threshing floor. Now, just to give a quick little history before we continue forward, right? The threshing floor is the floor that was used to thresh wheat. And what I mean by that is that it was the floor that was used to separate the useless stuff from the grain, the weeds and the chaff, from the useful part of the grain, the grain itself. The threshing floor was used to separate the useless from the useful. And I find it so funny that at this location is where they're bringing Micaiah, right to the threshing floor to see what is what, to see what is what. But as Micaiah is approaching with the guard that is escorting him, look at what the guard tells him right before he enters in. 1 Kings 22, verse 13. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, hey, Micaiah, 
look, the other prophets, without exception, are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. What is he telling Micaiah to do? Micaiah, buy in. Micaiah, go with the crowd. Micaiah, don't say anything against what anybody else is saying. Say exactly what they are saying. Agree with them, Micaiah. Don't say anything other than that. Go with the crowd. Go with the flow. Go with the current. Say what the majority are saying. Excuse me. But Micaiah responds to this guy. And look what he says. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. Micaiah doesn't budge. He stands his ground and doesn't go with the crowd. And when he does give the king a word, it's not a good one. He tells the king that, listen, if you go to this battle, if you go to war against Ramoth Gilead, guess what's going to happen to you? They are going to kill you. You are going to die. There is no way out of it. The moment your foot steps foot on that battlefield, you are going to perish. And the Lord and, and the king says, look, what did I tell you? He never says anything good about me, this guy right here. You know what? I'm not going to pay attention to him. Throw this guy in jail. And he throws him into a prison that is 10 times worse than the one from which he came. All because the Lord, all because the king didn't like what he said. I think this is a really great picture. I think we need to take a step back and picture this for a second. Micaiah spoke the truth. The king didn't like it. But Micaiah spoke it anyway. And then Micaiah got tossed in jail. A lot of times, we have the opportunity to speak truth. A lot of times, we have the opportunity to be bold and stand firm on God's word. A lot of times, there are so many burning bush moments that come past our lives, and we shrink back. And we shrink back because of the consequence. We shrink back because of what may happen to us if we do speak it. And because we fear the consequence more than the conviction, we don't say anything. We let the consequence outweigh the conviction we carry. We let the consequence outweigh the conviction we carry. But the story isn't over. You see, the king ignores Micaiah and goes to war anyway. And during the battle, this is what happens. Verse 34. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raged, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Armenians. The blood from his wound ran to the floor of the chariot, and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread throughout the army, every man to his town, every man to his land. I love how the word says that at random, at random. 
Because if you could picture it in the middle of a battle, swords swinging all over the place, people screaming and yelling, shields blocking all this other stuff, people riding around on chariots, horses, fire, torches, everything going around. And all of a sudden, somebody was in the middle of the war and went like this, and let loose an arrow at random. So much so that it hit between the plates of armor and killed the king. That was an ordained arrow. The king lost his life all because he followed the crowd. The king lost his life because he followed what the majority were saying as opposed to the one person who was telling him the truth. Following the majority, buying into the lies of our culture means one thing. We are living for the benefit of the enemy whose only goal is to steal, kill, and destroy our lives, just like he did with the king. The king bought into the crowd. The king bought into the majority. The king followed the current, and it cost him his life. For us, it may not cost us our lives physically, but it can cost us other things that are just as important. It could cost us relationships. It can cost us financially. It can cost us our beliefs. It can cost us our morals. It can cost us our relationship with God. It can cost us truth. There are three types of people in this story. Three types of people. Three types. You have the prophets. You have the king. And you have the Lord's prophet. Which one can you identify with most? You see, the prophets, they were the ones that were saying what all the other prophets were saying. They were the ones saying what all the other prophets were doing. They are the ones that are saying everybody is doing it. They are the ones that are saying this is no longer a big deal. They are the ones that are saying that it's just the norm nowadays. They are the ones that are saying to us in our culture nowadays that, listen, that's how things were done back then, but this is not how they are done now. Those are who the prophets are. They are already in the current. They are already with the crowd. They are already with the majority, taken away by the current. That's who they are. Those are the prophets. And then you have the king. The king was the one who was listening to what the prophets were saying. He was the one that was finding it harder and harder and harder to recognize the truth when it was being spoken. All because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. How many times have you ignored truth? Be honest. How many times have you ignored truth all because it stood in the way of something that you wanted to do. So in order to do what you wanted to do, you take truth and you push it to the side. 
that is king. Which leads us to the Lord's prophet. The Lord's prophet. He marches to the beat of a different drum, the drum of our Lord and Savior. He goes against the culture. He goes against the current. He stands without compromise for the things of Jesus. He knows he won't be popular. He knows not everyone is going to like him. He knows that the current culture will reject him. He knows that they are not going to like the things that he says. They are going to say that he is crazy. They are going to say that he is unloving. They are going to say that he is too judgmental. But the prophet, the Lord's prophet does not care. He doesn't back down. When given the opportunity to speak the truth of God's word, he speaks it regardless of where it puts him. He is not taken away by the current. You want to know why? Because he follows the one that can walk on top of it. He is not absorbed by the things of this world because he knows the one who owns the world. That is the Lord's prophet. Where do you find yourself among those three? Where do you find yourself with the prophets? Do you find yourself with the kings? Or do you find yourself with the Lord's prophet? If we're honest with ourselves, if we are, I believe that each and every single one of us here has been one of these three at some point in our life. Maybe some of us have been all three at some point. Growing up, to be honest, I don't think God cares about any of that. What God cares about is who do you want to be now? Who do you want to be now? If it's the one that I'm thinking about, and I hope that it is, you may or may not know how to get there. So let me give you a great starting point. You see, the lies from our culture, they put us on a current. And that current is purposefully designed to carry you away from God. It's purposefully designed to carry you away from truth. So if you want your direction to change, you have to change the current that you're on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, our culture wants us to seek after the things that it wants us to seek after. It wants us to seek after the way we spend our money. It wants us to seek after the way that it wants us to behave. It wants us to seek after the way that it portrays truth. It wants us to seek after the way that it wants everything to be, which is based on a lie. And if you fall into that, the only way to change that is to seek something else. But in this case, it's the only thing that you would need to seek. C. 
Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. You're searching for riches. God owns the world. You're searching for stability. He built the foundation. You're searching for peace. He got that. You're searching for forgiveness. He died on the cross for that. You're searching for healing. I'm pretty sure there's a verse somewhere that says, by his stripes, you are healed. Seek him first. Change your current. If you seek him first and if you chase after his righteousness, if you are pursuing him above all things, if you are in his word daily, if you are worshiping him, if you are praying to our father, if you are conversing with him back and forth on a daily, guess what? You will be on a different current. You will. One that leads you away from lies and towards the truth of our Father. We will be on a different path. We will be, on, we will be part of the best crowd alive. You will be his child. There is no better crowd to be a part of than that. Because I don't know about you, but when I think about all this, when I think about the prophets, when I think about the lies of our culture, when I think about the king, and when I think about the Lord's prophet, I think of one thing. I think that I don't want to follow the current. I don't. I don't want to follow the majority. I don't want to follow the crowd. I don't want to follow the current. I want to follow the one who can walk on top of it. How about you? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, my God. We thank you for every single heart that is here present before you, my Lord, whether in person or online, my God. And at this moment, my Lord, I pray that you would infuse inside of us, Lord, a boldness, my Lord, that would speak against the lies of our culture, my God. A boldness that would allow us to stand firm on truth, my God. A boldness, my Lord, that is incomparable to anything else that we have ever experienced, my God. That would hold us firm, that would hold us steady, my God. That would let us know that regardless of what the culture is doing, which way they're heading, what direction they're in, whatever lies and whatever it is that they are saying, my God, that we would be able to stand on your truth, my God that we would be able to stand on your word, my Lord, that we would not let culture influence us, my Lord, but that we would come back with the power of your Holy Spirit, my God, and influence culture itself, my God, for your kingdom, for your purposes, my Lord, for your righteousness, my God, so that way your kingdom can be expanded upon this earth, my Lord. There are too many of us, my God, too many of us, Lord, that are falling into the current that are falling in to the river, my God. So I pray, Lord, that we would stand firm, just like Micaiah did, Lord, that we would not compromise, my Lord, regardless of what it does to us, regardless of where it puts us, my Lord, but that we would not follow the current, my Lord, but follow you because you are the one that can walk on top of it, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Don't follow the current. Have a great week.
Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.